the Discover Dakota County podcast, provided by the Dakota County Regional Chamber of Commerce, is an interactive conversation that brings listeners and viewers informative stories, historical tidbits, views of leaders in the region, topics with various points of view, plus a little humor and throwback amusement. Tune in as we explore the rich stories and insights in Dakota County. And now your host, Phil Stahlberger. Discover Dakota County is brought to you by our session sponsor, Mid Country Bank, and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. We thank you for supporting Discover Dakota County. Welcome to Discover Dakota County. My name is Phil Stahlberger. Today, we are joined by three of our esteemed police chiefs in Dakota County. Hi, I'm Kelly McCarthy, and I'm the chief of the Mendota Heights Police Department. Hi, I'm Roger New. I'm the police chief in Egan, Minnesota. And Mike Dahlstrom with the city of Rosemont. So chiefs, Dakota County changed a little bit since its inception back in 1849. Back then, we had a total of probably 500 people in Dakota County. Recent census is we're, what, 500 million people? 500,000 people, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So things have changed over the course of time, as have your jobs. Maybe talk a little bit about your background, uh, your history, and just how you got to be where you are. And Chief McCarthy, I'm gonna start with you. I was born and raised in Dakota County. So um, I got to see the changes firsthand, but I knew I was gonna be a police officer when I was five years old, and I never wised up from there. So (laughs) uh, I went to, once I graduated from Two Rivers High School in Mendota Heights, I went to Winona State and played some rugby. So promptly failed out of Winona State. I <laughs> uh, came back, got my two-year degree from MCTC, which to this day is one of the best schools that I've been to, and then got hired out in the city of Lino Lakes in 1998, and then was promoted to officer in 99, and then came back to Dakota County in 2016. Wow. Chief knew, five years old, you knew you were going to be a police officer? Uh, no, I wasn't that good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was probably about 10 when I started getting the bug that I wanted to be a police officer. I was uh, born and raised in St. Paul. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, St. Paul had this program called Officer Friendly, uh, where officer would come to the elementary schools. And really, that's what got my itch into policing. You know, fast forward a number of years now, I'm, I'm only 23. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I... Uh, Grew up in St. Paul, went to St. Paul Central High School. Um, After graduating high school, went to uh, junior college up in Brainerd to play a little bit of football. Landed in Winona State, believe it or not, uh, to play football for a little bit and uh, realized that uh, my NFL aspirations uh, (laughs) were not going to be met playing in Winona. So I went back home and enrolled at Concordia College in St. Paul. And and after graduating with my uh, bachelor's in social science, I got a job in Egan in 1994. I will fast forward to through my career and simply say that I was uh, hired as chief in 2018. And truly, after listening to uh, Chief McCarthy give her background, probably one of the most disappointing things that uh, she failed to acknowledge was the fact that her and I went to the FBI Academy oh, together. Wow. In, uh, Fascinating. 2008. So. And you, you knew each other back then? We met at the FBI. You academy. met there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. When did you get, when did you guys graduate high school? Stop. No. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give me, give me one of the years. What do we got? 19, I, 1989. 
1989. Okay, so I was six when when Roger graduated from <laughs> chief. But no, I uh, I grew up in Rosemount, uh, born and raised right on the border, Invergrove, Egan, Rosemount area. And I did not know that I wanted to be a police officer at five. My grandpa on my dad's side was actually a police chief back in the 1960s up in uh, Rush City. But it was uh, it was the distance grandparent versus the, the, the closer maternal grandparent. And so it didn't have uh, as close a relationship, but went to college. And I, I sometimes tell people that I was the opposite of a police officer for a while and uh, kind of fell into the profession. I had a intro to criminal justice class that I took. I didn't know if I wanted to do my brother's a doctor. So I looked at pre-med, thought about dentistry, thought about law. None of that interested me. Went on a criminal justice uh, ride along with actually the Mendota Heights Police Department for my first ever exposure to local policing. And after that uh, experience, I thought, man, this is what I want to do. It was, uh, it was variety. It was different people. It was problem solving. It was, you know, all, all put into one job. So I still didn't have the best opinion of police officers. I based that on my, on my own accord, based on the things that I did, not, not uh, always the actions of police officers. But so I thought I was going to go into the DNR. I love to hunt and fish. That's what I do to refill my bucket. Tried to go into the DNR, but missed the cut from... I made it from 400 down to 30. I got background and missed the cut from 30 to 18. They said, you don't have any law enforcement experience. So in 2006, I applied to Rosemount and uh, the rest is history. My perspective on policing completely changed, both good and bad. I mean, it, for the most part, I, I didn't know what police officers did. And so I, I loved the job and became the chief fast forward um, to where I'm now in 2019. Probably the best time ever to become a chief, just before a pandemic and civil unrest. <laughs> yes. so. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at you know 2019, right, embarking on a pandemic, and let's mm-hmm. just hit the issue right out of the gate, which is you know Minneapolis and St. Paul after the George Floyd incident. And granted, we're in the southeast metro. We are you know 15, 20 minutes from downtown Minneapolis, downtown St. Paul. You are relatively n- new to the to the force. What goes through your mind as a police chief after you see the unrest happening in Minneapolis and also the rest of the country? What's your response as a police chief in Egan? Well, I think the emotions, it was a, really a, a roller coaster ride. I shared openly with my peers in Dakota County, you know, for me personally, I could connect, you know, with people that had issues being a black man, you know, and and I could connect with the people who are in the, the uniform because I've I, at the time, I had done the job for 25 years. It was, I would say it was really challenging. We were all fairly new leaders in, in law enforcement agencies. And uh, honestly, you know, over the past couple of years, I think we have been part of rewriting um, the way we do policing. I started in 1994 and the things we did in policing and, and you know, how policing was done is significantly different. And if I could give any message to any officer going forward is you have to continue to evolve with the profession. But from a social standpoint, um, I would I, I would like I, I believe a lot of people have done a lot of listening. I think we need to continue to listen and we need to continue to figure out ways to evolve in policing. But uh, at the same time, I think, you know, the community needs to recognize that we have a responsibility to provide public safety in our communities. And uh, there's a sense of accountability that people still need to maintain it. And it's our responsibility to hold people accountable. But how and what that looks like, I, you know, following George Floyd, we were at the beginning stages of really trying to navigate that here locally in Minnesota. And we continue to do some of that work. And you hear some of that work being done down at the Capitol today, talking about different legislation and what things should look like. But I think for me personally, I believe 
we need to challenge ourselves as police leaders to talk about what are the best practices and figure out how we navigate those things moving forward. Fascinating. You know, yes, we're not secluded, but we're away from Minneapolis and St. Mm-hmm. Paul. Issues in Rosemont, any issues in Rosemont come to mind that were happening as a result of that? And did you guys have to change what you're doing because of the incidents? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not to the same scale by any means, but I, I think the first thing that we did thankfully, um, is we collaborated as a county. So for the first time ever, we we formed a countywide emergency operations center. Uh, we all provided staff to that. It was 24-7. And we did have issues in Dakota County. Um, to give you an example, you know, I don't have a, the Egan Outlet Mall in Rosemount, <laughs> um, but we had to protect that outlet mall for, for weeks because it was a target of uh, looting and rioting. In West St. Paul, we had to throw... Um, uh, within minutes, 180 officers uh, onto Robert Street to stop looting and rioting that was going on around Signal Hills and up and down the Robert, uh, Robert Street corridor. Uh, West St. Paul has you know 30 some officers, let's say. So if we hadn't have collaborated in that way and if we didn't have good working relationships across um, all of our cities, um, the damage m- would have been much, much worse. But I think we got uh, on the forefront of it and we set up that EOC uh, what that looks like is you got people working with uh, finance chief, logistics chief, operations chief, um, internet technology analysts, and we were constantly vetting what was going on and where we needed to mu- uh, move our resources uh, to ensure that the residents of Dakota County stayed safe. And typically, I mean, we're worried about, I'm worried about Rosemont primarily, Egan, uh, Mendota Heights, but it forced us to have more regional collaboration. And uh, as Chief New was saying to this day, um, we're aligning a lot of times with the east, what we call the east metro uh, agencies. You think about east side of the river, St. Paul, Ramsey County, Washington County, um, doing a lot of work in St. Paul around the federal trial. Um, but yeah, I mean, even and I, West St. Paul example is the best one I can give. But I, I remember we had we had pursuits, we had vehicles <laughs> with no license plates, we had random shots fired called during that time. We had a, a Molotov cocktail at one of our service centers, one of our uh, courthouses. So it took, it definitely took regional collaboration. Yeah. You know, it was interesting as, as a citizen, once the curfew hit, <laughs> I was thinking in my mind, okay, we need to let the police do their job after hours, knowing things might be happening in our neighborhoods, but also knowing that you're probably helping other communities, maybe not your own. Uh, Mendota Heights, is that is that the case? I mean, did you, you know, someone to Rosemont and Egan, did you have things going on in, in your community that you maybe didn't prior to that incident? We definitely had some spillover during the 10 days post uh, the murder. So Mendota Heights borders St. Paul. And for a long time, many of the gas stations leading into Minneapolis closed down. And so mm-hmm. the speedway in Mendota Heights was the last gas station you could get to that you could before you got to Minneapolis. So we had some of the right-wing anarchists from Rochester came up and we're gonna try to burn down the, the gas station, but they live streamed it. So we were able to stop that. Uh, we assisted on Robert Street that day. We were actually in a collaborative Zoom mm-hmm. call when Chief Surgeon just put out the flag and everybody showed up and we went over there. And so we did have incidents. And then, you know, it was, it was, but what we experienced in Dakota County was, was in no way related to George Floyd. It was your bad actors who used that as cover. They knew that our resources would be someplace else. And so they used that as an opportunity to try to burglarize um, our pharmacy. So um, it was hard to separate those incidents. And when you're responding to them, it really doesn't matter. Right. But it was a 
it was a crazy 10 days for us. Yeah, I think every every chief could give an example. I mean, the, 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 it's not called the petrol pumper anymore. It's what it used to be called. But right on 52 and 117th, the board of uh, Rosemont Never Grove, that was looted one night. Just And it's it was tough to chase the tail of what was happening where. And I think by the end of it, we developed new systems. We had, uh, we had never deployed strike teams before. That was a foreign concept to us. We learned from our partners in St. Paul. Uh, we learned from each other. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of late night phone calls, a lot of good discussions on, because it's, you know, as, as I was reminded multiple times being in the, in the emergency operations centers, you better make sure that my city doesn't burn down. Mm-hmm. And you got a lot of experience packed into the last two years. And, and, and as Chief McCarthy stated, mm-hmm. it wasn't on the same level. I like to say we did a good job, but we didn't have 96 fires in a night like St. Paul did. You know, right. we didn't have $435 million worth of damage or whatever that total was. So I would just, you know, but I would, I would, it, it, and that's, Teach Dawson's absolutely right. We didn't, it was nowhere near um, what Minneapolis or St. Paul experienced, but I would say that the level of anxiety for our residents, as well as our police officers, we, it, it felt like we were right there in the middle of it. Um, there was so much uncertainty as to you know what was happening, and, and Phil, you mentioned the curfews. You know, I, I think to myself, you know, just the conversations that we had about all things curfew, and um, you know, taking away people's civil liberty, liberties mm-hmm. by saying a curfew and saying you need to be at home. But when we looked at the data and we looked at our rationale for doing it, it was essentially to help those police officers who were out in the front line trying to to you know, ward off the problems that were occurring in Minneapolis and St. Paul from coming out to Dakota County. Yeah, and that's a good point. We, and we often say we've got, I've got 27,000 sets of eyes and ears. I don't know what your population is, but it's a community effort. So we're, we're an extension of the community. And so it was tough to explain why we were doing it, why we mm-hmm. were, uh, because you don't have the platform to have this conversation with everybody at all times. And right. sometimes you're making split decisions. And you have different levels of opinion depending on which city you go to, you know, yes. uh, based on your governing your governing uh, council. So, uh, but in reality, what it did is that it leveled the playing field by our community working together as a whole in Dakota County and staying home when they could. And obviously, we were reasonable with seeing people that were coming and going from work or if they need to get food. But in general, people did a really good job um, staying home. And that way, when you did see a vehicle out, it was easy to spot that oh, they don't have license plates, for example, or you know, what's the purpose here? There's a car full of people versus a single individual coming back from quick trip, you know, on their job, so. Right. Let's take a brief moment now to acknowledge our sponsors. Discover Dakota County is brought to you by our session sponsor, Mid Country Bank, and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. We thank you so much for your partnership. Somebody mentioned the number of, in your force, um, do you have a pre and post? Uh, or do you a, yeah. a continually dwindling number? I mean, I, the average citizen probably has no idea how many people are in your force. Yeah, I don't know, uh, Chief, if you know recruitment or from the post level, do you know any numbers off the top of your head from statewide? I, I didn't I didn't bring statistics. Okay. It's not in your, it's <laughs> I, not in your I paper. Did. <laughs> I did bring statistics. I thought you were going <laughs> to. But by and large, I would just, I'm, I'm only going to make an assumption that the number of people you're going to be able to recruit from is smaller. Yes. Does that mean you're, you're we, we can We can all give you that example, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I do think, though, it's not just as simple as um, civil unrest. So you have right. declining birth rates. You have um, one of the lowest cohorts of hireable people regarding age in Minnesota right now. And with the declining birth rates and a uh, basically full stop on 
immigration, there's just few. And then throw on top of it, a million Americans have died. Right. So it's not like there's people that want to do other things. There's not the people. Mm. And so for a long time, law enforcement hasn't had to innovate because we've always had people resources. And this is not a short-term blip. It, we need to be able to plan for this for the long-term. Yeah, and I, I would say, I'm mean, giving an example, um, statistically, data-wise, I have this one memorized, I didn't bring it with me. Uh, <laughs> but when I, when I applied, even in 2006, there was roughly 170 to 180 applicants, and I'm sure they're gonna be able to say uh, probably more for, for one police officer position in the city of Rosemont. Mm -hmm. I just had a process for two positions and we had 25 applicants. Mm -hmm. So you see just over that, that period of time. And I do think, um, I agree with Chief McCarthy. I, I don't, um, I, I wasn't thinking of it that globally, which I think is smart, but there is social media, like what that has done and what that has changed and how it formulates people's opinion. And I've had the conversations in my own family where, um, you know, people see stuff and they, um, they're concerned, you know, how, mm -hmm. how dangerous is the profession? How dangerous is it not? Chief McCarthy and I just discussed that last week. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of factors working against us right now. But yeah, I don't know if you've got any other perspectives, Chief. I think you're exactly right. Both of you are as far as the numbers go. I know in 2012, we had 446 applications for two positions. Um, we just closed a, a hiring process and we had four vacancies we have four vacancies and we have 33 applicants that applied for positions. And the interesting part is in 2012, we had set the mandate that um, state state requirements require you have a two-year degree to be hired as a police officer. At the time we were requiring a four-year degree and that still drew 446 applicants. This time around we had 33 and we've gone to the state requirement of a two-year degree. So. Uh, but I, I would agree with Chief McCarthy that the number when you when you talk to people from different sectors of business, private and public sector, everyone's struggling to get people right now. Mm -hmm. I think the last couple of years of policing, however, um, the, the profession of law enforcement has become less desirable by people. And, you know, when, when you start thinking innovatively uh, in, in, in law enforcement, I think one of the things that we're going to have to do is recruit early and create our own within policing to keep uh, the number of people in the police forces up. In Egan, we have, we're authorized for 77 sworn police officers in, 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 in our department. I can tell you, you know, I, I think one of the big questions that people have is, are we losing people because of, you know, the sentiments surrounding policing the last couple of years? Right. We've been fortunate. We haven't seen that mass exodus. But one of the concerns I have, um, and I don't know how the other chiefs feel about it. We haven't had this discussion. As you watch the news, you hear about agencies giving hiring bonuses. And essentially, my feeling on that is we're just poaching from one another. It's a right. challenge to get people in the profession. And, and you know, some communities are more fortunate than others where they can offer significant bonuses to people to come on board. But it's just displacing the problem elsewhere because people are challenged to get staff members. I, I don't know if I philosophically agree with giving bonuses. I don't sure. know how others feel. I mean, I, I do think people have left the profession based on the last two years. For like, mm -hmm. and I've had one-on-one -on -one conversation. We've lost, uh, I guess it's, it's probably five now. It might be, yeah, five. We, we've had, you know, and some of them went to the just completely different professions. One went to be a pilot, 
already had his pilot license and, and went to be a pilot. Another one went to be a dean of students at a middle school. A couple other ones resigned uh, medically, you know. So in, in all of those situations, uh, during exit interviews, you hear things about um, factors that surround the last two years, whether it would be the pandemic or civil unrest, a combination of both. It has been a stressful two years uh, in the profession for sure. And people look long-term. And that's why I think also officer wellness has become a huge topic, mm-hmm. both at the at the state level and at our local levels. There's, there's, and I'm sure we can probably get into a, a little discussion on that. I never would have thought that we were gonna have a wellness program at the city of Rosemont where I can receive six free confidential uh, sessions with a therapist. And uh, we have more annual training. We call it the Rosemont Power Program. It's, it's police officer wellness by enhancing resiliency. And I think all wow. of us have as <laughs> can you, it's mean, a that, good acronym. Can you say that again? So yeah. we're going to write that yeah, down. It's the, it's, it's the power program. Uh, but it, it's, it's reduced the stigma of mental health. Um, we, we know that there's statistics and I don't have those with me, but you know, we talk about suicide. Um, what statistics do you have? With <laughs> I've you? got some. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, su- suicide, alcoholism. It's, it is higher in our profession. And so we're trying to find ways to combat that as well. Another part of our wellness program that we just enacted that we would never done before. We had two sergeants that within five years of retirement had heart attacks and, and passed away. Um, and they had, they were uh, big influencers on the department. So they're, then you start looking into the stats, how is cardiovascular health affecting um, police officers specifically as a profession? So we now offer an annual, uh, every three years, we provide this check-in to keep giving people almost forced measures. You know, could they go on their own? Sure, Do, um, yeah. but they may not, but you bring it to their doorstep and try to bring awareness to it that look at, the up and down of stress, the shift work, the you know maybe it's the fast food. This is all working against your ticker. So like you know make sure you're you're staying on top of that. So I think and I know uh, Chief McCarthy's always been big on wellness well before I was, especially I won't actually I won't share our private conversation. So go ahead. <laughs> I was waiting for you to tell some of the stats there, Chief. Oh yeah, so uh, I um, uh, 100% always go to a therapist. Uh, no, I think. Uh, having had an incident very early in my career in which I was diagnosed with PTSD and then going for treatment for it, I very early on recognized the importance of therapy. And so I've been pretty religious about it since like 2000. So we're very open about it at our police department. And the goal isn't that the police department be that place that provides you with that, is that we help you take control of your own mental health and resiliency. But we do have a program where we do send officers to someone just to make sure that they have that opportunity. What goes part and parcel with that, like Chief Dahlstrom was talking about, is a fitness program. Mm-hmm. And so we do pay our officers every hour, every shift they work, they can work out for an hour uh, with calls and coverage as it allows because you fund your values. And if you can prevent that heart attack, if you can prevent you know, that goes into officer retention. Mm-hmm. If we have good cardiovascular health, we might stay in the profession a little longer. There is also data to support, and Chief Delstrom might have it, regarding <laughs> uh, use of force complaints in office and officer fitness, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly in the realm of cardiovascular exercise. So the, the data supports, um, I think, what we're all doing, sure. and we're starting to see some really good results, but we're very open about it in my agency. And every time I go to therapy, I always ask if somebody wants to get their side of the story on the record before I go. (laughs) (laughs) That's fascinating. I mean, talk about wellness and being healthy. And of course, as a part of everybody's daily life. And some of us work out 
more than others and some of us play more basketball or do more fishing or whatever the case may <laughs> yeah. be but and some are just better at basketball than others <laughs> yeah. that's true yeah keith dalsham's got a killer cross no, yeah, yeah. So. not what? anymore Play, <laughs> playing with 12 year olds <laughs> <laughs> my nephews yeah, yeah there you <laughs> go <laughs> but how do you i mean you're managing a large force right and granted the wellness piece is a big component of it but it's stress to your point about how police officers deal with stress I and mean, you guys in general police force are dealing with different types of stress more than back in 1849, right? And so as the force and the profession has changed, other than wellness and diet and exercise, how else do you kind of keep your force strong, not just physically, but mentally? It's, it's a hard thing to do. And you guys have highlighted some of that. And data's coming up a few yeah, times. Sure. Um, you don't have the tools and resources today that we did 25 years Correct. ago. I think the first thing is you have to get the awareness up there, right? With right. Any, anytime it's a simple self-reflection, if you're going to change, you've got to recognize what you need differently. I think of it the same way for wellness. So until I heard that the average life expectancy, and it, you know, you can argue the statistics, but there's different life expectancies for police officers than there is for uh, non-police officers. And that's a statistic that related to me. So I think as, as, a, um, as a leader in the agency, I try to get that information out there and everything's gonna hit people differently. We're all different people, right? So something might relate to me better that relates to, uh, that doesn't relate to Chief New. And that goes for, for both conversations. I've, I've st stolen his line many times, but even back to post uh, the murder of George Floyd, it was, it was uh, I was, struggling with with sentiment in the in the office about you know people were really well why why are we being judged by the actions of one individual and we had a lot of these conversations and i remember right away i called him and he, and he gave me a perspective that i gave him the reference when i'm in my uniform i feel like i'm treated one way when i'm not in my uniform i'm not treated that way and he said uh, he goes well he goes sometimes as a black man in america um, you can't go home and take your uniform off. And I was like, wow, okay, so that, that, was, that was impactful. And it's just through that awareness of those conversations, I think it goes back to Chief's original point of listening and having these conversations, even for something as simple as wellness, we're learning so much about fitness, mental health, physical health, how it's all related. I'm sure we all have times where you wake up and you're like, I was more productive today, I was more patient, I was more consistent, and why was that? You know, I'm probably being uh, more healthy in general, you know? Sure. We'd like to thank our session sponsor, Mid Country Bank and our episode sponsors, the Minnesota Vikings and the Egan Convention and Visitors Bureau. Thank you for supporting Discover Dakota County. Thank you for the brevity. Thank you for the seriousness. Uh, thank you for your time. Appreciate what you all do for the community. And uh, thanks for joining the, the Discover Dakota County. Thank you so much for listening to Discover Dakota County. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. This podcast was produced by the Dakota County Regional Chamber of Commerce and Town Square Television.